Welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage. This podcast is dedicated to helping attorneys earn more money, get better clients, and spend more time with family. I'm your host, Alej Yajnik, founder of Law Firm Success Group. Smart business guidance for small law firms begins in three, two, one. And it's my pleasure to welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage, Greg Beck, Chief Growth Officer of Focal Point Advisory Services. Greg, how are you doing? I am wonderful. Pleasure to be here today. It is great to have you on the show. Tell us in brief what you do. Sure. So Focal Point Advisory Services focuses on strategic transaction preparation. So whether that's traditional merger and acquisition activity, capital raises, strategic alliances, joint ventures, the success of those ventures comes in the preparation about making sure everyone's ready to go both before the transaction and then afterwards to make sure true value is captured. A lot of people focused on the deal itself. This makes sure that everything surrounding that sets up everyone for success. How is strategic transaction preparation in the legal space different from maybe other industries? Sure. From a baseline standpoint, you would think that the merger of two law firms would be the easiest thing to do. However, like all professional services, there are a couple of key issues that pop out that are of far greater importance in the legal profession than I would say they are in other uh, industries, even though they are important in those industries as well. So the first two buckets that these issues fall into are around reputational risk ethics everything that comes along with it in the professional services arena your reputation is the ultimate expression of goodwill that falls to a balance sheet so the most difficult part of any merger of two law firms is having to ask the very uncomfortable questions that come along about What is your professional liability? What lawsuits have been brought against you? What ethical issues might have been raised? Because you might have the most talented lawyers, you might have the most wonderful client base, but if those two issues aren't addressed up front in the clear light of day with everyone, you're going to have problems going forward. So the next bucket that things fall into is very tactical. It's how does each firm look at their tax and accounting approaches? So when these firms come together, will you be incurring unnecessary costs or costs that could have been minimized if it was addressed right out of the gate when it comes to the differences of how firms look at things? Along with that comes the digital infrastructure of each of the respective firms. Every firm has their own way, their software that they're familiar with. And that software is very often an expression of how the company does business, how it was set up, how they manage client relationships, what they deem most important. And if those issues, the two issues, the tax and accounting and then the digital infrastructure are not addressed up front, you end up having to do a lot of repair work on the back end. Normally, after the announcement's been made, you've already started talking to your clients and you want to minimize that up front as much as possible. And then the third issue that makes a a law firm unique is the emotional side of it. Not something normally applied to the legal industry, but it's about what is the relationship 
that you have with your clients. How strong are those that when the brand equity, the two respective firms have spent so much time and money investing in, how many of those clients are going to stick around going forward? How do you make sure that the relationship, which again, took so much time to build, how are you going to preserve those going forward? So those are three radically different buckets that they fall into, but any one of those can kill what would ultimately be a valuable transaction for all parties involved. Yeah. And those are things that a lot of firms would never think of unless they were bringing on someone like you. They're going to be thinking about conflicts, checks, and rates, and you know um, who gets what offices, those kinds of things, not necessarily <laughs> the things that you're bringing up. And so how much of that work you know, you needs a buyer and needs a seller to have that prep work done, and how much of it can be done by one firm as they're getting ready to either look for acquisitions or be acquired themselves? Sure. The... When a buyer and seller come together, they should already have that introspective moment where they've looked at a lot of this. So I would say the value and the transaction preparation that comes along with it is someone knowing what questions to ask and then having those answers in your back pocket. So very often, every business gets sued. You know, a just one disgruntled employee could make an ethics claim. So very often, it's not the fact that these are on the record, but if you're aware of them, if you You've mitigated that risk accordingly. If you understand, shifting gears a bit, why you've set up your internal systems the way you have, what you've done is you've shifted the focus from, oops, now we've got a problem after we're already down the path to, here's an issue that we need to start talking about early on. And it comes into the deal stream as opposed to being something that people feel like was dropped on them last minute. And at what size of a firm, Greg, do these typically become you know, material considerations. Sure. I would say that once you get north of about 10 people in the firm, and that obviously can be a mix of practicing lawyers, paralegals, office staff, whatever it is, that seems to be the line of demarcation of when a firm like that, unless they're merging with a, a mega firm, you know, one of the huge firms from the coast, that's where there's just enough friction brought into it. And when you overlay that friction with the personalities and all the other hoopla, we'd normally use a stronger term <laughs> that comes <laughs> along with a, a deal like this, 10 people is where you really need to start thinking about it. But even if you're a solo practitioner, even if there's just a couple of attorneys in the firm, it's a smaller deal, but these issues might have a disproportionate impact on the total value of them. So it's relevant for everyone, but 10 is the line where you need to start taking it seriously. Got it. Awesome. And um, you mentioned a couple of other things that you're involved with, things like capital raises and uh, strategic alliances and things like that. Any um, experience that you've had doing those kinds of things with law firms? Sure. The We have not done them with law firms in particular, but I have done them with other professional service firms. And the reason that I especially name-checked those early on in our conversation was because Everyone thinks that the exit is going to be when they ultimately sell, but a precursor to that, where you have an opportunity to work through a lot of issues like this, could be a strategic alliance where you don't want to build out all the capabilities and acquire the talent that comes along with it. But by lashing the two ships together, to go back to my Navy days, 
you get an opportunity to explore a lot of this without all the pressure that comes along with a deal. A joint venture, if you're exploring something that's different than the brand that either firm possesses, maybe a whole new venture is created to explore what a space could be like. So I don't necessarily see them as competing with a merger and acquisition, but something that very much could be an intermediate step that gives you a much longer runway to address these types of issues. And in that time, again, it's uh, normally a lower temperature. And the one fun fact that I heard, I believe it was from either the Harvard Business School or McKenzie, but they said that 76% of all joint ventures ultimately lead to a merger of acquisition or one of the two partners. So if you're going into something like this, you need to go through very similar steps because you're likely going to be on one side of the transaction or the other. And how do you want to approach that? So the methodology is very similar across all those strategic transactions. And I do want to address the, the capital raise in particular, whether it is a bank, whether you're looking at some other source of equity, they are going to look at your firm in the same way that an acquiring firm would. It's, again, the same methodology, the same metrics are going to be applied. So by prepping yourself, if you go out to raise capital, it's going to be a very similar process to if you're selling. So again, the methodology is very transportable. Awesome. That's great to hear. And capital raises are such an interesting part of growing a growing a firm that's oftentimes overlooked. And uh, I love the idea of strategic alliances kind of being like, you know, dipping your toes in the water, almost like dating to see if things go well. And then eventually that will lead to an acquisition or a merger of some sort. We've jumped into a lot of technical topics that um, I don't know that the attorney entrepreneurs that are listening are going to be familiar with, but it's super important that they at least understand some of these considerations because when they get it right, a deal can go very well for everyone. When it goes wrong, it'll either blow up at the last minute or even worse, uh, go through and then all sorts of chaos and stuff happens after the deal is consummated. It can get very expensive for everybody involved. Um, one of the questions that get pretty fre frequently, Greg, from law firm owners is they're often wondering, does the law firm have any value? Like, who would buy my firm? Um, <laughs> share with me some, uh, you know, your responses to those kinds of things and some of the things that a target, you know, a, a firm that's looking to acquire is looking for these days. Sure. The phrase that gets thrown around a lot, but it's probably most applicable in the legal space is the war for talent. Firms develop reputations, good or bad, hopefully good in this case, of they have very strong practices, and I'll just pick one at, at random, intellectual property. Well, when you think about what an intellectual property practice could mean to a larger firm, if you're doing IP work, this might give you an opportunity as those companies grow to branch off into corporate. If they start doing M&A, uh, as these firms grow and leverage that intellectual property, now there are HR issues that need to be addressed. So a potential acquirer for a law firm is looking at a specific talent base or a specific vertical that they serve. If you're known as a generalist from a legal standpoint, but you have a very strong background, let's say in technology, all of these things have value. If you put the client at the center, which I agree is a horrible coaching cliche, but it's true. <laughs> if you put the client in the center and think about what their needs are, if you're looking to grow your practice, if you're looking at where you could be valuable, to an acquiring firm, those niches that you have and that talent that you have could truly make one plus one equal three in this case. 
And how does the owner's role, the law firm owner's role, let's assume for argument's sake, it's a single partner, a single owner law firm. How does their role and what they do impact how their firm is viewed as a target? Sure. This is one of the classic truisms of any sort of strategic transaction, but the owner needs to be both the leader of the firm and the most replaceable person there. And the reason there's a dichotomy between those two is if you are the sole shareholder of a firm and you have a talent base, you'll be receiving probably the lion's share of the sale of the business. But at some point, you will transition out, either at a minimum into a different role, but probably take those well-earned gains and then go do something else with your life. So there's this dichotomy of you want to be that strong leader for the company, developing the talent, developing the vision, but at the same time, have enabled and empowered your people where that organization can continue to run without you because then you won't be a slave to something like an extended buyout or having to work more as a practitioner in the firm instead of a leader. So if we if we think about the traditional views of of management, you know there, there's a phrase that Focal Point uses called the three eyes of the entrepreneur. There's the tactical part, which are the relationships that the owner is going to have directly. There's the managerial, which is the development of the people, and then the visionary in the future. The better each of those three buckets are filled by the rest of the team, the more attractive the firm is, and the easier the transition will go when the owner gets to move on. Yeah. And oftentimes that's what we see in law firms is the owner is, they are very much doing the work. They are also bringing in the work and they're oftentimes managing the employees. And that's where I think it gets to be challenging is if an owner's looking to leave, what's the firm going to look like if they're wearing all of those hats? And so they have to shed, if not all of those responsibilities, because many of them want to be a practicing attorney, at -hmm. least some of those responsibilities and having an internal succession in place around those things. It'd be great if you have other people that either are already bringing in business or have potential to bring in business. And likewise, if you use the attorney that's doing the work and you own the firm, if you have other associates or other team members that can step up into those roles, even if it's only for a short period of time, for example, when you go on vacation, right? you've got other people running your firm, which is something that we all work towards. Greg, you've got a lot of stories of M&A from your background, which is really extensive in this area. Share with us, if you could, a, a story with a law firm or a professional services firm. We'd love to hear about it. Sure. So um, I will talk about actually a funeral home, which people don't think of as a professional services firm, but it absolutely is. And this really, I think, embodies a lot of the points that you were just talking about there. So third generation owners, the grandfather founded it, the father ran it, and then two brothers are currently running the company today. And the father sold to them under very advantageous terms. He was very generous to his children, as one would expect. However, what that meant from a financial standpoint is that the seller note was on the book forever. And dad was also taking a salary. So effective in the very recent past, uh, the seller note was paid off. That salary was no longer being paid. And the two brothers found themselves in a very interesting position of they had just been working to take care of the clients that they had, but now they have internal free cash flow that they could use to grow. 
And the reason I got engaged with them was because they had been so focused on the day to day. And now they're thinking about what could growth look like is now the point where we decide to sell to a larger practice. Do we go out and acquire another practice at, at, at this point? That thinking across all professional services firms, I find very endemic in the sense of that what does tomorrow look like? When are you taking dedicated time to think about a very intentional growth plan? And now that the financial taps have been open for this client, they're in the position of having to start from scratch. And I think that speaks to the much larger point of if a if an owner wants to get back to being the practitioner, that takes you down one path. If you want to stay in more of an executive and leadership capacity, that takes you down another. And there's no wrong answer there. There is truly multiple ways to be successful, but you need to be intentional about it. And there needs to be some forethought put into it. Awesome. So what they end up doing? Right now, they are looking at doing some greenfield expansions. So awesome. building, building up brand new sites. Doing some new stuff. Very cool. I love that. And, and by the way, everyone, if you're looking to grow your firms, which if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are. One of the fastest ways, ways to do that is through acquisition. And there's lots of different ways you can do that. No two deals are alike. So you know, take that skepticism, put it aside, and uh, maybe do some earnest exploration about that. If you're looking to grow, it can be so much faster than grinding it out on your own and building a team from scratch and all of those things. When that great, awesome law firm that you would love to have and love to add to your practice could be just right around that corner. So, Greg, um, what are the first steps that you would recommend a law firm takes if they're looking at acquiring another firm or being acquired? Sure. The first step is you need to fully understand your own business and your own value drivers. You brought up a great point just before that an acquisition is such a great way to kickstart growth. But if your firm itself isn't ready for that, whether you are a company looking to sell and merge with someone else, or if you're looking to acquire, if both parties haven't built the framework, it's not accretive to value, it's pouring gasoline on a fire at that point. All you're doing is grinding the gears of two companies that, that have issues. So in a very real way, whether you're looking to acquire or whether you're looking to be acquired, a very sober review of your own policies, your own practices, your own technology, how you have built relationships with people. If you understand that and you understand your strengths, where you have opportunities, if you understand it and you know how do you want to move forward, then those strengths can be amplified and the weaknesses could be something that you address and fix through a merger. But if through the merger, that's where you found out you had that challenge, that gets back to the gasoline on the fire reference that I made earlier. Awesome. And Greg, what are some things you're looking forward to in your practice over the next year or so? Sure. It's such a cliche to, to bring it up, but with the baby boomers starting to retire, we really are on the verge of the greatest exchange of value, generational transfer of wealth in history. And many of the baby boomers, as we all do when we get to a certain age, we think we're going to live forever. You know, and now that generation is starting to come to the realization that my son or my daughter might not want to run my firm. 
that there might be some more growth out there that because I've become comfortable at this stage of my life. So as the ownership group in the baby boomer generation is starting to look at what's next, I think you're going to see in every industry really across the globe, so many different ways to unlock value from those companies. So whether it's merger and acquisition or a joint venture or a strategic alliance, I think you're going to see that boomer generation and then the next group coming up who's going to work alongside them for a while, start thinking about things differently than we have traditionally. And I just think that coaches and advisors uh, like yourself are going to be in a really good position to help people navigate that because it's not something you do every day. That's right. <laughs> well, that's awesome, Greg. And you bring a ton of value to the table in this space. If people want to contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, very active there. And also, uh, I am very good on email, which is gbeck at focalpointcoaching.com. I find myself on the phone a lot, so I am infinitely faster on email to get hold of, but I will definitely contact you back. Fantastic. Greg, thank you for your service. And thank you so much for being a guest on Lawyer Business Advantage today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Lawyer Business Advantage podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in to listen. And I want to hear from you. So connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think of this episode. And if you are a solo or an owner of a small law firm, and you're looking to earn more money, attract better clients, or reduce your stress, we would love to talk with you to see how we can help. Request your free law firm assessment by visiting lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. Again, that URL is lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. We look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you for listening. My name is Ale Yajnik. Until next time, remember... You can seize freedom. You can embrace happiness. You can build your perfect practice.